Hello world, welcome to our very first episode of the Boring Launch Podcast. It's a podcast by game devs and for game devs, where we would have quick conversations about game launches and how we can make them not suck. In other words, making your game launch boring, which is a good thing. It's also this show where you get to meet your fellow game devs and when we get to talk about random fun things about gaming. This week, we're going to talk about Twickables. Now, I know what you will ask. What are Twickables and why should I care about it? Well, stay tuned. I'm your host, Raymond Arifianto. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I'm so excited to introduce to you my very first guest to the show, Gary Casey. Now, Gary is a good friend of mine. Like, you live in London right now or or Guildford, Gary? It's in Guildford, it's just outside London. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Cool, cool. Right. Now, Gary, again, Gary is a good friend of mine. We've known each other for a while. He's been in the industry for a while, also. Like, you know, he's been, you've been in the industry for 16 years, I think, in EA, right? Yes, just almost hitting 16 years now. And and you've shipped a bunch of games like Burnout Paradise, Burnout Paradise Remastered. (laughs) And then then a lot of the Need for Speed games, right? Like, uh, what what was the first Need for Speed games that you worked on? It was was Need for Speed Hot Pursuit, which released in 2010, which was, that was, it was amazing, actually, because it was coming out of Paradise. And, um... Paradise was a really young team, actually. It was a very young team. And um, if you imagine, there was a lot of version ones of features done by us all. And the beauty of Hot Pursuit was we were getting like our opportunity to try and sort of do our take of Need for Speed with a team that really wanted to do better on things they'd done on Paradise. And um, it was actually quite a small team in comparison to Paradise as well. But I felt like we really knocked it out of the park on that one, especially with the sort of autolog feature set that people remember. And obviously we just did a remaster of that um, at the end of 2020. So that was, yeah, that was a great one. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously like you work in Most Wanted, Rivals, the the, the 2016 uh, Need for Speed uh, version and then Payback and Heat. But you also work in, in Battlefield. And like, I think the last one that you worked on was the, the 2042, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a, a massive undertaking. That because it was, it was almost entirely made working from home. And um, yeah, I'm I'm really proud of that game. Actually, um, I know there's been some negative sentiment sent about it, but I still think as a foundation, there's so much there in terms of, especially the portal mode that's in there, which has a a great sort of long tail about it, where you can create custom game modes and and sort of you know as far as your mind can go really i think yeah i know it's 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 a game that is going to continue to have updates for it and attempts to sort of fix what you know we are listening a lot to what the fans are saying and um yeah so that was the last one and i'm yeah very proud of that one absolutely like the uh the online scope is massive right i mean like it's a, like you said mm-hmm. it's a it's a live service games so it's a very ambitious games um but so yeah, so I guess like right now you are the technical director of online and operations in uh, Criterion, right? Yeah. Um, now I remember the first time I saw you in person, right? When when I was visiting Guildford, when I was working for <laughs> a lot more hair. <laughs> but also like the uh, you are you are a Street Fighter player. Uh, you are a, yes. an avid Street Fighter player. 
Um, so I, like, I consider myself the best at street fire in Cricklewood. So <laughs> Cricklewood was my hometown in northwest London. And uh, I, I was like the best in the local arcades. And then, that's you know, as soon as you go online, that soon goes away. <laughs> like, <laughs> sort of but uh, yeah, no, I still love street fire. And I can be found online on that every now and again with playing as Ryu. And then, you know, getting my uh, get myself handed to me all the time. But um, yeah, I love it. I love it, actually. Still love it to this day. That is awesome. And uh, I'm sure you already saw the, the announcement. Uh, this yes. is my first random question of, of the day, I guess. The uh, You know, you saw the announcement for the Street Fighter 6. It's like, what what is the thing that you would like to see in Street Fighter 6? I guess, is it crossplay? Is it uh, certain mechanics? Is it certain characters? What, what, what are you looking for? So I guess to answer that question, I've got to talk a little bit about Street Fighter 5, which is Street Fighter 5. A lot of people see it as not a big success because of the original launch where it came out and it only had so many characters and like some people weren't too happy with things like even like the loading times and some of the net code that was associated with it. But it, they really fixed it. Like the Street Fighter Five that's left today is six years old and has over 40 something characters with loads of variety and there's multiple ways to even play a single character. So I would say, actually, yeah, if they could do cross-play on the next one, that'd be phenomenal, because I'd love to see Xbox on that, as in the more the, more the merrier when you're trying to fight people. You, you find a lot of Street Fighter Five right now is actually more PC players, and they're what's known as Smurf accounts, people creating random accounts. They're the best at Street Fighter in the world, but they're playing lower-level people and just battering them for a laugh. But I would say rollback netcode, which if... Um, like if if you if you look up what rollback net code is, Street Fighter Five doesn't have it, but I would love to see that in Street Fighter Six because the ability to do it, it's it's just far better at its prediction with rollback net code, and people find it a lot more fair and more fluid when you play it. Uh, so give me that in Street Fighter Six, and I'd be happy as anything, even if you had half the characters in it. Um, but yeah, so something like that for a start would be fantastic from an online point of view. Yeah, super excited. Um, I'm I'm also stoked to to hear more about that. Um, so let's let's get going, right? The uh, you know, like let's 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 get to the to the meat of the discussion. The uh, live service, like you said, is like you know, uh, scope of the online is just getting bigger and bigger, right? I mean, like you know, things are just a lot more complicated now than you know years ago, right? Where now we have crossplay, now we have yeah. long live service tail end and stuff like that. Any stories that you would like to share, or like you know, your your favorite? You know, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, like the Gremlins, right? Or the Murphy's Law or whatever that can save your launch or save your sanity when you're launching something that's sure. very ambitious, right? So in terms of my experience with live services, actually, it goes back to the first game I ever worked on. So Burnout Paradise, we knew we were going to do some DLC on that. But the phrase live service hadn't actually been invented yet, as in the concept of we're going to constantly update a game until we don't anymore. And during that 2008 year, um, we kept updating the game in wild ways and like like in, in reactive ways as well that we hadn't quite predicted. So one of the key things we did during that period was we realized that obviously every update you do is going to have to go through a certification process or some sort of, you know, cost actually just to release the patch. So we developed little systems to turn off and on um, larger features within the game and we called them tweakables. So we were, we were doing this back in 2008 and we found it fascinating that, hey, we can, we can potentially tweak something within the game for the majority of players who are connected. And we took that learning and 
we carried it through really even even through to the days where we were working together on need for speeds and we always use tweakable systems now especially as the foundation for what we call kill switches so the ability the most important thing in the world is that a player can play the game and especially if it's an always online game so we have to make sure our back-end services work so that way you can connect and do all the things you want to do but if there is one service that is making the rest of the game break. We need to turn that off quickly. So it's via these tweakable systems that we that we you know ensure that we've got the insurance, should I say? So that way you can quickly deploy out changes and say, okay, we'll turn that off for now, but we'll bring that back later. So once we've got a proper fix to it, and as long as you're communicative with the players, they can really appreciate that. And um, like it, you think of kill switches. It doesn't even have to be for a service that's going to break the game, actually. So. As you're going toward launch, um, I've often found that I, I have to kind of convince producers and the people who want the snazzy features in the game, um, I need to do this work for this kill. I need to do the work to turn off stuff on the game, effectively. And trying to convince them of that is quite difficult when they want the cool stuff in there. Instead, they even want even more cool stuff. But if you, as long as you communicate with them, that this is for the, for the greater good, and that's, that's really important. Um, and there is a good story we had. So for the 2016 Need for Speed, um, we had a car customization feature. So we had the ability to put any type of decals on a car that you like. So obviously we've got a very stringent legal and licensing procedure, except that someone at the 11th hour forgot to check what could be put on to some of the cars. And what, what you, long story short, you were able to put a BMW badge on a, on a Ford. And um, <laughs> and that was found at the last minute. So uh, so thankfully we had a kill switch, and there was a lot of colourful words said by my then technical director about holy bleep, <laughs> can we kill this? And I said, yeah, I can do it now if you want. And we managed to turn the feature off before it became a legal problem, and then we fixed it, deployed it a week later, and had it had it sorted. And the players didn't really know what was going on. And the key part is, is we were able to communicate to the players. Hey, this is off. We have a technical gremlin, and we'll get back to you soon. So as long as you're telling them when stuff is coming back, that helps as well. But that was so important for the launch because uh, for that particular one, it wasn't even a system quality thing. It was purely a they're going to sue the arse out of this. So, <laughs> yeah, we have to fix it. But uh, that's that's a good example, I think. Um, Absolutely. The uh, I think it's so powerful the the whole concept of tweakables. I think like everyone, like a lot of people in the industry, probably have different you know, phrases to, to call it, right? Yeah. I think some people call it dynamic config or feature yeah. flag or kill switches or, or yeah. tweakables, right? But I think like ultimately it is, um, uh, it is the ability to modify the behavior, like push a different behavior to the games without having yeah. to go through the, the regular like yeah. patch release, right? It's so costly that is now, Dave. There's certain changes that if you put them into a patch, if you were to add, yeah, I mean, a lot of people who work with First Party kind of know this, but if you were to make some fundamental changes to the game, it actually requires you to have a full certification process again. And that could be catastrophic to a, a rapid sort of patching and live service. So we have to be very careful about what we put into our features. So yeah, these type of tweaking or tweakables as we just call them internally is, is really important. And it's good for features as well, actually. I mean, I think if you can build your features this way, it's, um, it is a way to deliver dynamic content in a way that you couldn't before. 
as well. So remember before, there was a time where I always say like for races in a game, like a race should be nothing more than a bunch of checkpoint indices to say, you know, this is what the race configuration should be. And none of that is geometry. So you, you don't exactly have to pull that down or anything. So that's the start. But obviously, you could go further as well. For listeners who are probably new to the industry and, and be able to visualize right, how, how this tweakable or this dynamic conflict looks like, it's like, how would they design it? It's like, let's say that's like they, they want to design it early on, right? Which, which is what we're recommending, right? It's like, have that as part of your plan early on yeah. so that you can actually modify the behavior of your of your game client and your game servers dynamically right how would they approach this so i I would start with it being as as the people who provide the online foundation to the game you almost provide it like a tool to the rest of the team to be used as a means to say here here is a way here's a different way to read a flow or an int or a ball in your game as in it's the same type of ball that you'd normally have but use this as a tool and know that at these certain sync points in the game, they can be completely refreshed within the client. And we, we once, I mean, we once even did that when um, we got some very late reviews for Most Wanted back in 2012. And we found out that the, the timeout for how the AI kept coming back in was making all the early reviewers really not like the game. So we had a tweakable for that. And we literally just tripled the time on it and said, now what do you think? And they were like, yeah, this is so much better. It feels so much smoother. And it was kind of really what they were after. And it's and that was just, the gameplay team knew nothing about how the online team implemented that. We just, we it was part of a SLA effectively as a way of saying, every time you sign in, these, these values will get pulled down again and you can rely on this value being changed. And then obviously we put it into the save game and make sure that if they if they're offline next time around they'll still have that new value. So it's more it's more providing it as a tool to the team and then educating them and saying this is there for you to to use whenever you like. And then I think if you start getting into that mindset within the team, you can really sort of grow further. I think, and that's that's kind of certainly where I want to see more things go in the future. Absolutely, I think it's I think it's super powerful to give that kind of tooling and power to the live service producer and the designers, right? So that they can actually yeah. engage the the community and being able to address things like balancing and and all that, right? Yeah, when they need to. Yeah, you can see other games do it too, actually, because um, the amount of games that kind of sign in and then kind of almost explicitly tell you we're downloading the new config now. Like Street Fighter does it every sort of new patch, actually. You can tell they're just downloading. I don't know if it's Lua files or something, but something that is more of a, you know, like a, a sort of text-based scripting or something that can be easily pulled down that's only just, you know, a few hundred K at most. You know, you mentioned Street Fighter again, right? The, uh, you know, Street oh, Fighter yeah. obviously like, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's one of the, 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 one of the earlier games, I would say, that, that actually have like proper console cross-platform, right? It's, yeah, PC and PlayStation. Yeah, for sure. And and that's I was just thinking about this like what what you just said. Like a lot of times when you're releasing the game, your game update, right, to the different first parties like Steam and PlayStation or Xbox, most likely you'll be updating things not exactly synchronized, right? Because every mm-hmm. first party uh, submission runs differently, right? So mm-hmm. like th- that being able to put something behind a feature flag or kill switch, right? And then like, yes. and then you synchronize, okay, everyone, like all the all the updates has been deployed right now, turn on this feature for everyone in my community across all platforms. I think that's yeah. very, very powerful. Oh, it absolutely is, yeah. And yeah, and what you mentioned about, when you're talking about releases that ha- can happen around different time zones and around the world, that is very important. I mean, 
that you always strive for like a 100% uptime in your title. So the easiest thing to do when you're releasing is just say, okay, we're going to shut everything down for a few hours, turn off all the dedicated servers, and then reboot everything based on the new one and force the players to say, get the new patch immediately. So that's the, you know, that's the real hard version of this. And you kind of want to avoid that because if, if you're enjoying the game now, but you don't have time to download the new patches, then you kind of want to, sort of appease those people and sort of say okay well you can just grab it later you know that sort of uptime is important so it has to be considered for every type of release that people do and we do do that actually we make it so that the older dedicated servers are running in conjunction with the new the new ones and that the new back-end servers are running with backwards compatibility in mind actually that's one of the ways that we do it and we also consider zero downtime deployment for our back-end servers too so this is our sort of app servers that we run. So we make sure that all the deployments and changes, the player hopefully don't notice it. And we, we really try and go rare with a full outage, actually. But even if we do, we try and let people know. And we always try and make sure it's at the quieter times. You know, like 9 o'clock UTC is usually the sort of amongst the quietest periods. That's why you see so many games around that time sort of doing deploys. That's where the, the curves are all tailing off. For sure, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, having that seamless experience for the for the players, right? I mean, like, you know, like like you said, like Twickable is kind of like one of those, like, it can be used as a, oh, crap, uh, switch kind of thing, right? It's yeah. like, you know, I'm going <laughs> to patch this right now. And then, like, you know, the, the real update is going to come out, like, next week or something, right? But at least, like, you're... you're... Mm-hmm. It can be used that way. It's kind of like yeah. a micro-patch solution. And the other way around as well, we're like, we've accidentally released stuff before. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So you know, something goes out in a patch, and you realize, oh my god, that's on, and then yeah. we have to kill switch it that way. So it's just insurance policies for yourself, really. It's I think it's it's so important when you're running a, a true live service. And what you find happens actually, and I have seen this, is a lot of people see what can be tweaked and then realize they should have done it for their features. And like I say, you, you know, as sort of technical leads, we we have to keep tr- kind of preaching this to people and sort of saying, hey, this is here to save you. You know, hopefully they sort of take that on board sort of going I, forward, I think. I, I'm a total believer in tweakables. And I, I do think that, like, if, if listeners, if you are building a game right now, you should definitely consider having similar systems, right? So it will keep your sanity during your launch and your uh, your live service. So thank you so much, Gary, for, for coming into the show. You're literally my first guest of the show. First but like, many, I hope right? that... Sure. First of many. First of many. Uh, awesome. So what uh, what's what's next? Like, what's what's exciting for you? So yeah, last year I got married. Delighted with that. Like my wonderful wife, uh, I she says that I kidnapped her and took her down to Guildford when coronavirus happens. And um, I said, no, nah, just come down while it all blows over. So those two weeks lasted two years, and uh, but we ended up getting married. So we're going to try and um, we're going to try and move back to London next year, I think. And uh, I'm going to be doing a lot more working from home actually. So I, f- I found working from home was a natural transition for me, given that. I spend a lot of time on Zoom and a lot of you know a lot of times working with partners who are across the across the ponds, much like yourself right now, actually. So uh, yeah, there's that, and then of course the Elden Ring came out this week, so I'm sure I'll be spending the next month on that at least. So yeah, I've I've not even gotten past the first little town on it where without getting my head chopped off. So uh, yeah, lots of that, lots yes, of that. Yes, a lot of that free tries. But yeah, I mean, like I I'm, I'm so thankful that like you are you're healthy, um, you know. So I hope that. Thank you. Uh, I hope that you and Shell are doing great and I will see you next time. Nice one. Thanks very much, Ray. Good to see ya. 
Hey, thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you yourself have some fun launch stories, or if you have some tips you'd like to share with your fellow game devs, I would love to hear it from you. Shoot me an email at hello at boringlaunch.gg. And if you'd like to check out more episodes, visit our website, boringlaunch.gg. Hope to see you in the next episode. Bye.